Welcome to Transformation Simulation, the podcast about agile transformations and personal transformations. Here are your hosts, fraternal agile twins, only separated by four months, 100 pounds, meat consumption, and different parents, Alicia Yannick and Nathan Chawilawu Ashe. So before we get started on episode three, Nathan, we want to thank our, what are we calling them? Our Agile Posse. Is that what we decided? Yeah, because saying their names every single time, that's just too much. That's too much to talk about. They're a corporate gang for Agile. (laughs) We're never (laughs) going to get hired anywhere. They're they're trouble. I know. (laughs) (laughs) We're never going to and they're never going. Everybody has to keep their same job. Um, (laughs) So before we, we dive in, um, let's let's tee it up. So really what we see in episode or what we're going to hear, we don't see a darn thing, but what we're going to hear in episode three is an extension of the conversation that, that happened in episode two, where you've got the project manager and the, the developer who went off and did some discovery, did some research and tried to figure out what, what are some possible ways to change how we've been delivering because again they don't feel like they stand a chance in heck uh to make that happen based on their current op i don't know sop standard operating procedure i guess um and then here's where we get to hear the way the bigger team receives this information and what they think about it and some of the key questions that they have i think without further ado you want to dig in and give it a listen let's give it a listen all right Team, before we share with you what we came up with, I'll share a brief history of how we currently work on projects. Engineer One will talk about the tools we considered. We will both share the roles and the framework we have landed upon. Does it sound good? Sounds good to me. Team nods in consent. We've been together as a team for about two and a half years. During that time, we've worked as a more traditional or waterfall type team. By that, I mean we are tasked with doing some work. Someone or some people tells us specifically what to do and how to do it. Then we do it. There is a little bit of figuring out how to do it on our part, but not much. We don't think our old approach to our work will make us successful this time round. This time round, there won't be anyone planning our work for us. We are responsible for planning, execution and delivery. We need to be highly collaborative. Engineer One, I think it would be a good segue into the tools discussion. Thanks, Project Manager. We started our research looking for tools to help us collaborate. We reviewed Rake, Teamwork, and Asana. They're great tools that help teams collaborate, but we quickly realized that tools don't make us effective at collaborating. Our real challenge is to think differently about the way we work and how we can deliver. So we quickly detoured from considering tools as our primary source for change. Our focus turned into finding a better way to work. I've used Rike and Teamwork in the past. They are solid workflow tools. Are you saying we don't need them? How are we going to keep track of our work? We'll definitely need a good work management tool. However, the tool itself will not change the way we think about our work. It probably won't change the way we collaborate. You said think differently about the way we work several times. What exactly does that mean? I mean, I think I have good thoughts and approaches to the way I work. We all do. We've done some great work together over the past couple of years. That is another great segue into the framework we've landed upon. Before we jump totally into the framework and what it is called, I'll attempt to answer your question. 
thinking differently about our work means we should start thinking in smaller increments and in terms of value we deliver to the organization. We've never had to think in terms of experimentation or even failure. Let's face it, every piece of work in the in the last two years was planned out for us. We really didn't have to think about it. We just had to do it. Now we have to think about us as a team and being willing to plan, try, experiment, and even fail in small increments. What do you mean about failure? I'm not here to fail. Me either. Why are we talking about failure? We haven't even started working and somehow we are talking about failing. None of us are here to fail. Let me explain. By failure, I mean we have never had this level of responsibility and accountability. We'll have to find a way to be successful. That usually involves failing a bit along the way. We won't get it completely right the first time. If you don't mind, let's jump into Scrum, which we think is the framework that will serve us best. Project Manager and Engineer One educate the team on the Scrum framework, its values, principles, Scrum events, the Agile Manifesto, and the roles. After the team digests the information and believes it's a framework they want to try, the conversation continues. Do we need anyone's approval to work in Scrum? And what about the roles? We all have titles and the responsibilities are a little different. What do we do there? We will have to find out. However, are we sure that we want to give this a go, Scrum? The team unanimously confirms. I'm really excited about this. Thanks for the research and focus. Great! Engineer One and I will get the answers to your questions and determine the next steps. Well, that was such a great performance by our posse. Thank you all for being a part of our podcast. We are so honored that you uh, that you decided to audition and were selected and we can remain friends. <laughs> you know, it, you're really nice to thank them every single episode. I know. <laughs> By episode eight, and nine and ten, are we still going to be thanking them, do you think? Or are we no. just going to say, yeah, that crew showed up. All right, moving on. <laughs> well, that was interesting, wasn't it? We really had this. I think it's, it's certainly reflective of conversations I've been a part of and I've had. Yeah, definitely. You too? Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 You know, as, as um, you know, it's really, as you mentioned um, in our introduction to the episode, it was a continuation of the conversation that we saw in episode two about tools. Um, it was a little bit more detailed for the team to explain really what, you know, some of the limitations of the way they worked where their research led them, how they thought it could benefit the team. I thought the scrum master or the um, actually the project manager um, in that situation really set the table appropriately for the team, letting them know kind of where they've come from, identifying that's really not going to get us where we want to go, and then really focusing on this new way that they need to consider working. And I would say that that maybe that was a little cleaner than most of the conversations I've been a part of that where we were talking about what do we want to do differently, specifically because sometimes I already knew what we were going to do differently. So it was more of a we're going to head in this direction and here's why I like in this episode that it was written in such a way that it wasn't presented as a from a position of kind of control. This is what we're going to do. It was positioned 
from someone internally in the team who said, well, from two someones in the team who said, hey, this is a possibility based on what what we've read. Yeah. And I, I think that's a better way to go about it than probably how I've gone about it a lot in the past. And of course, it, it might have been written that way on purpose. You know, who, who knows? Because <laughs> that's yeah. the better way to do it than the way it gets done in real life a whole lot. The author did really great work. The author, the, I think there were two authors who might have done a, a pretty good job with this one. But but you're right, right? Teeing it up is good. And and the reason that it, teeing it up is so important is because the subsequent conversation can then be a good conversation where maybe egos are deflated a little bit, where people are feeling comfortable poking holes in things. I really like, and I think, I think this is even pointed out in the dialogue, there are a couple of points where thinking differently about how we work is mentioned. Yeah. And I'm not sure that most teams have that awareness early on. Again, these are scenarios that were specifically created, but but that is kind of key because if we don't think differently about how we work, if we just go through the motions differently, I haven't in my experience with transformation seen a whole lot of value. But but we throw around that word, you have to change your mindset like a bumper sticker. Right. So how do, I mean, how have you made that sticky? Because I'll tell you the first 15 years of my career, I didn't talk to people about changing their mindset. It just wasn't a phrase that I used Yeah. until I got to the enterprise level. Yeah. Did you? No, um, that's, that's a really good point. You know, thinking differently about how we work, um, you know, thinking differently about how we work, even in the script, as it was read, it says, you know, the project manager said, you know, we have to think differently about the way we work. But a lot of times when I, when I've engaged with teams like that, what I want them to do is to actually start thinking about the way they work. Because a lot of times teams, they haven't had the opportunity to think about it. As we saw in the, in this episode, in the script, the scrum master sets the stage and says, you know, the way we used to work, it's someone came to us and told us what needed to be done and how to do it and when it needed to be delivered. They didn't even think about it. They just did it. Uh-huh. So, you know, that first that first stage of thinking differently about the way you work is actually, I think, just thinking about the way you work. And you mentioned something earlier about, you know, this this episode is written from the control not written from the control aspect that we normally Uh see when this is introduced. And it's also not written with the normal fear (laughs) that comes into it when someone is told you got to start working a different way. Yeah. But those things, you know, there's some control typically when these things are presented, there's this natural kind of fear that comes in, but then teams and individuals are required to start thinking about what they do and not being told what to do. All those things are new and challenging, especially when making a transition uh, in the workplace to a new way of working. So I'm going to, I was listening to you talk and I was kind of in my brain comparing and contrasting two different experiences I had with transformation. So one was really, really early on, maybe even my first transformation. And I'm looking at my notes about where I've worked. And the second one was way down the road. And I approached it the same, more or less. And yet the one place was wildly successful and the other place was a dud. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking about, because I didn't ever go in, I was thinking about why. Why was one place wildly successful and one place was a dud? And I was, I was the same person doing the transformation, presumably 
The second one I'm comparing and contrasting would have been better because it was several years down the road. So you'd think I would have learned about it more. Um, and I, in, in neither case that I say we should think about our work or we should think about how we're doing our work or would I have used the word mindset. But I think in the first instance, either people more, were more inclined to think about the way they work or they had more autonomy to because our manager was not on site, was in a different state. So we had more space to think about how we worked. There was no one, there was no one standing over us saying, this is how you should work. I mean, physically, nobody was there. I was the manager at the time. And the second, the, the second place where it was a dud, I don't think anyone really cared to think about how they worked. They just went through the motions of getting the work done. And they did get the work done, but there was no energy. There was no energy to think about the work. There was no energy to own it, really. And it, I think some of the success of this, Nathan, is who the people are who are involved in it. Yeah. That was a yeah. long-winded way to get there. Well, you know, if what I got from what you were saying is that some, some of the folks in, in the areas where it didn't catch, where it didn't get traction, they might not have been engaged. They might not have had ownership. Um, For sure. Obviously, and I don't know more about your situation than what you presented, but, you know, if they're getting the work done and there's no real benefit from their perspective to change the way they work or have any greater level of ownership, you know, sometimes people and teams just kind of go through the motions and get the work done and check the boxes and feel like, like they've done what they're supposed to do. And like transformations, you know, they're usually not successful <laughs> when that happens. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't. Um, I don't know, I, now I feel like I want to dig into the, that a little bit and figure out why it was such a dead. But the, the company was kind of in shambles and the leadership was really detached. And it was, it was a small company, like 30, 40 people. But maybe there was a connection between how they felt about leadership and how they felt about the company because it was, it was sort of a we're probably not going to make it kind of time in the company and, and they didn't make it. And I think maybe having that sense across the organization of we're on the verge of not making it was yeah. potentially what fed into that. But, but I also think it was the temperament of the folks who were there, the temperament and the mindset of the folks who were there. So that's something to be thinking about with a transformation is that it is a collection of individuals who are going through a transformation yeah. and individuals approach things differently. Yeah. So just because it worked one place doesn't mean it's going to work another, even if you're kind of, if, even if your approach is the same. Yep. You got to have the right people in the right places. You do have to have the right people in the right places. But so yep. that took me 15 minutes to get to that statement. That's a, That's impressive. That is that, that's some meandering conversation right there. <laughs> that was actually good intel and experience. Good. Good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, what about how, um, failure was mentioned in this episode and how the team responded to it. Um, failure when it, when it's ever presented, you know, in an agile way, we talk about doing short experiments and having those experiments either succeed or fail, but learning from those failures take place. And, you know, business people are usually a, a really just adverse to even hearing the word failure and people don't like to hear the word failure. Mm -hmm. um, but they brought it up in this team discussion of working better, working faster, finding new ways to work. what do you think about that? Or oh, I think that's a tough thing to get comfy with. But the way it was explained to me way back in the day was 
no one's going to say, yay, we failed. I mean, that's that's not what we're saying. It, it's not good to sit in failure for very long. And the way it was explained to me way back in the day was if you fail in a two-week increment, it is so much easier to bounce back. So it's so much easier for the team to bounce back, the product folks, meaning the business to bounce back, the technology to bounce back, et cetera. You're not wallowing in it for a long period of time. And you can usually recover from it with a low cost, low cost to whatever the expense was, low cost to time lost, et cetera. And that for me became a comfortable way to think about it. But I will also say I very rarely had a leader in all my years, 17 years of this, who said, well, let's embrace what we learned. I had a le- I had most leadership said the team can't fail the next sprint. Yeah. It, it better be, be it better be better. Right. It better be right. It better be a success. You better finish all the work. There better not be rollover. Um, and so I I think for all of our conversations around learning from failure, it's still not really accepted. The reality is in the business world, especially in the corporate world and many aspects of, you know, small business, we need to be successful every sprint. <laughs> right, but we never are. We never, we never are. are. We never so are. So it's this artificial pressure. It is. It is, and it's not realistic. And then what the teams do is they sandbag so they can appear to be successful. And uh, Or... Or they just feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. Or they just feel bad, um, yeah. which then can have the opposite effect because they go into the next sprint kind of with their tail tucked between their legs. <laughs> yeah. What I, what I tell when I coach teams, what I tell them, I say, you know, there's 26 sprints in a year. You know, if you're working in two week sprints, mm-hmm. there's 26 sprints in a year. Are you going to be successful? All of those sprints. If you were going to fail or just be moderately successful and learn from something, how many of those sprints do you think that you're really not going to produce the results you want? If there's 26 sprints in a year. What is that? Is that like five or six sprints? Let's say you failed three, three or four times in a year, but you use those uh, failed sprints as learning opportunities. That's not bad. <laughs> I mean, that's not bad. I mean, do you tell leadership that? Do you tell business that when you no. go in as a coach? No, no, I, no, no, no. They'll walk you tell me the out. team. They'll walk me out if yeah. I yeah, you won't have a coaching <laughs> job after that. So you talked about failure. This uh-huh. team's been together for two and a half years, and now they're going to start doing things differently. That is equates to change, and change is disruptive. Yeah. Highly. How as a coach do you prep teams for what's to come? The disruption of change. Well, the good thing, I think with this team, the good thing is that they have been together for two and a half years. They have a track record with each other. From what we know, from what the authors presented, they appear to be successful in the way they work. (laughs) The way they worked previous to having to go through this transformation. So they have camaraderie. They have Mm -hmm. some, some glue that's holding them together. If they can make it through this transition, the beginning parts together and agree and so forth. I think that it's, it's less disruptive for teams like that. No, I've seen it be disruptive. I don't think, I mean, I'm trying to think if I've ever done a total greenfield team. Yeah. A couple of times, total greenfield teams, everything's a disruption, meaning they, they don't, they don't know anything. So yeah. it, it is almost harder to get started because 
they don't know each other's temperaments, personalities. They have nothing to fall back on. They have no past history. But I've also seen with existing teams, if there's stuff in their past history that's been dysfunctional, which a team has been together for two and a half years is likely to have, um, the, going through a transformation really brings that to the surface. Yeah. And so you, you get to deal with those things head on and early, which is part of the fun, I suppose, if you're scrummy nerds like us. Yeah. That's a good point because all that, that we're scrummy nerds. No, the point, <laughs> that's a good, yeah, that's, that's good though. Um, that's, <laughs> but if they have dysfunctions, even if they've been together this long, there's going to be a magnifying glass on those. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those behaviors. Yep. Yeah. I agree. I had a team once that was going through something like this and they had really dysfunctional behaviors and it led to two team members leaving the team. One of them was asked to leave and the other mm -hmm. one found another mm -hmm. opportunity during this time and, and made a change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've had that happen on the, on most teams, someone will leave. Uh, yeah. it, interestingly, the very first place I practiced scrum, the guy who, the developer who referred me into the company said, I'm, I'm out. Really? I don't, I don't want the visibility. I don't want the transparency. I don't want to have to work closely with, with my team members. I want to come in. I want to do my tickets, so to speak, and uh, my tasks, and I want to go home. And he just said, this isn't going to work for me and, and was really upset about it really? and left. Yeah. Well, it's not for everybody, especially back then. Yeah. Um, 2004, 2005, definitely back then it was the thought of, working closely with someone was could be uncomfortable for folks. So he, he left specifically because he didn't, he didn't want to embrace scrum. Wow. Um, it also turned out his team members didn't like him a whole lot. <laughs> so I think, I think because of that, it, that microscopic view that comes to pass when you, right. when you start down this road, uh, that became more evident across the board. It wasn't hidden quite so much. Yeah. So what do you think? Should we, uh, I think we have a special guest star joining us for episode right. four yeah. Yeah, should we go find him? Let's go do that. All right. All the music in our podcast is created by Gilpin Hill. That dude, now that dude is great. He can play some music. I'm telling you that. Mm-hmm. Chris Tolino, also known as Sweet Tony, also known as One Take Tony, is the voice actor on our podcast introduction this season. Chris also played the role of Manager One throughout the season, and Chris, we thank you for both. Special thanks to our friends Bay Hall, Lauren Harrison, Eric Harrison, Arnold Panjanaban, John Amaranjan, Margie Morse, Ryan Babbage, and Shrikanth Reddy who were all script actors for the episodes in this season. If you are looking for exceptional Agile coaches, look no further than this collection of great people. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are available. We are Alicia, Yannick, and Nathan Chawilawuashe, the Agile Twins. If you have questions, comments, or ideas, you can connect with us at transformationsimulation.com. Thank you for listening.